So dude, because it's a three-day weekend, today I just spent the whole day catching up on all the comics from the past couple weeks because of the holidays. So I want to quickly go through all the ones that I read today. I caught up on all the King and Black tie-ins, so like Namor, Immortal Hulk, Spider-Woman, what's the other one? And... There's a bunch of tie-ins already, and it's only the first two issues. It's nuts. Right. Black Cat, and then there's one more I'm sure will come to me. But then I also read Something is Killing the Children, 12 and 13, Once in Future, 14, Department of Truth, number 4, Undiscovered Country, 11, and... A few other, oh, Amazing Spider-Man 54 LR and then 55. Like, there are just like I read so many comics today. Thank I, I, it felt great. Thank the Lord for comics and like nerdy books. Otherwise, I swear we'd be illiterate. Like, it's the only thing keeping us going with our reading. Like, you know how video games when we were younger would have a ton of tech stuff, and I'm like, that's what got me reading as a kid. Yeah, I, I do have to admit that Star Wars books have. Um, greatly helped and benefited my uh, vocabulary because uh, I would not have read it as a kid. But guys, this is Pod Wars, and on Pod Wars we like pod racing. Uh, <laughs> no, we like t- <laughs> we like talking Star Wars and Marvel and other you know fun geeky media whatnot. And uh, today we're actually diving a little bit away from the whole Marvel stuff, and we're gonna kind of dive into the DC side. We're going to do a Wonder Woman review, and then we're also going to then jump back into Marvel and kind of talk about what's been going on in the King in Black series like we did in our previous episode where we broke down the Disney investor stuff. So uh, we're going to dive into that. I do have to do this because it's funny and I want to make him feel bad because I already know he does feel bad, but Kevin from Force Losers was supposed to come on tonight and help us out and talk about Wonder Woman. Uh, but he bailed on us, so everyone um, make him feel bad. And no, I'm just kidding. He's a great guy, and uh, he's helping out his brother right now. So um, we'll have. So him on he's that doing soon. less important things, and because of that, we're gonna like shun him. I'm pretty sure he's like no longer part of Red Five anymore or anything. We're just cutting him out. Right. When as long as after you you know break a promise once, Red Five immediately just like kicks you out. So yeah, like, it's it's that hardcore with it all, but. I'm excited, dude, to dive into a little DC. We're talking Wonder Woman 84. Uh, not Wonder Woman 1984, technically. And, like, you, if you've listened to the pod or to our episode with Conversations, you know Justice and myself have a feud over the DC movies, which I think have some redeemable qualities, especially a little-known flick called Man of Steel, one of the greatest cinematic achievements ever, no matter what Justice would say. So I'm happy that we're going into DC. I, I You know, just saying Man of Steel, like you're like diving deep underneath my skin and trying to like, get at me. <laughs> I, I have to say, I, I love Wonder Woman, the first movie, and I really like Shazam. I'm halfway through Aquaman, which sounds weird that I haven't finished it, um, and it, it's all right. Um, but yeah, so I'm... And then Birds of Prey is a good one. So, like, I, I do like some, you know, DC, EU movies, uh, but Man of Steel is not that good. Batman versus Superman is trash. And Justice League, I haven't even seen it. That's how bad it is. So, uh, uh, we'll, we'll keep talking here, but 
I watched Wonder Woman 1984 just last night, and okay, so like our overall opinion of DC movies in general, I like a good amount of them. Um, the but the things I don't like, I really, really don't like. Like Batman versus Superman. I was really pissed about a lot of things because I know the plots in the comics and I'm like, you guys are dropping the ball. Like how they threw Doomsday in there randomly last minute in a Lex Luthor plot. I'm like, guys, that's such a good plot in the comics. Why are you dropping the ball? Um, Justice, you tend to be kind of, what would you say, like 80% against, 20% for as far as DC movies? I just named like five of them that I enjoyed. So how many? There are nine of them. So (laughs) So you're like like 99% a little Marvel ho, and then 1% okay with DC. I am 50% on board with most of the DCEU, and then I like all the Dark Knight movies, and you know superman one two like back in the day with christopher reeves so those are great there's a lot of them that i like okay i'm being unfair i'm being unfair but part of the reason why shout out to kev who's not here we wanted him on because he liked this movie a lot and watching it dude i have to admit i was not into this movie that much like what was your overall thoughts with it man my overall thoughts um I was I went in with way too high of expectations. I saw a lot of good reviews going in. I, you know, the the first Wonder Woman movie is probably my favorite DCU movie, so I had extreme high expectations, and I really don't think my expectations were met. The way that I've been going about it is, and if you like the movie. By all means, love it. I, I'm I'm happy for you. Uh, that's why we really wanted Kev on because he he, uh, you know, he talked like I talked with him about why the movie was so good and for him. And personally, for me, there there are moments that I really really enjoyed, and then there are just moments that didn't really work for me. And I think it's okay to say that I enjoyed, in my opinion, a kind of crappy movie. But it's still a fun movie to watch, if that makes sense. But like, I was I was trying to make a good comparison, and the best thing that I could say is it's like me enjoying watching X Men Origins. Like, it's not that great of a movie, but it's still enjoyable to watch, kind of. And that's how I felt like Wonder Woman eighty four was. That's a pretty good comparison because there were parts where I'm like, I'm actually like really enjoying this. Um, X Men Origins is a great way to compare it. I see. I was thinking more of like. When I genuinely enjoy watching the first Ghost Rider film, that's kind of what it's like with Wonder Woman 84. But I feel like that's, I, I don't know if that's unfair for WW84, but like, that's kind of what I feel like, you know? Right. And, and no, that, that's, I think that's a better um, comparison because that Ghost Rider movie, the, I think most of its fault comes from the special effects and maybe less of this, the actual story. Where I don't know a whole lot of DC, I I didn't have time to look up, you know, like Cheetah and Max Lord and all their history. But for me, the things that didn't really work in the Wonder Woman movie, and we'll get more into it. But for right now, the main thing is the special effects, and that that's something that really, you know, bothered me. But I tried really turning off my brain just to enjoy it. Yeah, I I don't know how I feel about the special effects. There's a a few things about the movie overall. One being that. Okay, I loved the first Wonder Woman, but I feel like this movie had a lot of Diana 
and very little Wonder Woman, if that makes sense. Like, a lot of scenes as a, a humanized, like, person going around trying to do life, sad that her boyfriend's gone, which is necessary for the plot, but it was just, like, I want more Wonder Woman in there. Like, I didn't feel like I really saw Wonder Woman that much until, like, that tank scene later on with her and uh, Trevor. Yeah, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. All right, so let's start off with the good. Let's give our, our, our genuine, you know, we talk about some of the beginning thoughts. Let's let's talk about the things that, you know, we liked in the movie. And, and then, you know, maybe we'll walk a little bit through the movie as we're doing it. And then we'll kind of talk about the things that we, we didn't think worked. So start off, Gary. What, what were some of the things that you really, really enjoyed? So I enjoyed the moments where you could see Wonder Woman fighting and her showing her powers. I think that was really done well. Like, her fighting scene when they're driving behind that tank, like I mentioned earlier. I was watching that and thinking, after the beginning of the movie kind of soured me, I was like, I'm really enjoying this. And then I love when she's in the air, swinging on the lasso on lightning. Like, that stuff is so dope. I So I really enjoyed that aspect quite a bit. How about you, dude? That's interesting. That that's uh, some of the things that you enjoyed, because the, the lasso swinging... Just like the the the, uh, sorry, we're supposed to talk about good things, but I just, I just wanted to bring like that's one of the things that kind of like rubbed me the wrong way. We'll get into that later. But some of the things that I really really loved, I loved the opening scene with their, and you know the Amazon world. I I'm sorry, my DC knowledge is lacking, so I don't know what that the mascara that place is. Yes, thank you. Um, but that that whole opening scene, it's beautiful. It's well choreographed. It's awesome. Uh, I I really really enjoyed it, and then I also even though this might be kind of corny, I really liked the firework scene. I thought it was cool how they're flying and they're just hanging out together, and like you're they're flying above the clouds and there's fireworks. That I don't know. I thought that scene was, I guess, romantic and fun and just uh, a good you know. Well, that kind of that kind of leads into my other good thing. I think that the relationship between Steve Trevor and Diana was good. Like, I really enjoyed their interactions, their relationship, and it made you really feel for her. Again, this is going to be, if we haven't mentioned already, this is going to be filled with spoilers. But it made you feel for her when she had to give up that relationship. So, like, I thought they were good together and they had great chemistry. Yeah, th- so the, the some of the things that other I really liked that I wanted to highlight is I thought the acting from everyone was on par, from Pedro Pascal, Chris Pine, Kristen Wiig, Gal... Um, you know, they, they all did a really great job in their roles. Um, I thought they were, they delivered, delivered their lines really well. And I mean, I thought like Pedro Pascal was amazing and Chris Pine was really good too. Like the, they were great. Uh, so I know again, we're on the positive front here, but to like talk about that topic, I think that I, I might, I might sound like the mean one here, but I don't like Christian Kristen Wiig in this film like her scenes in the beginning when she's meant to be like the awkward fun but likable person she didn't come across as likable to me she seemed kind of like the person who you know in a conversation would randomly say something bad about themselves just for the sake of getting some pity like she would be oh, I, 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 do you kind of see what I mean I there? saw her as like the I saw her as like that girl that grew up walking watching anime and then like if you accidentally like uh, made fun of that she would write something in her death note 
and so she's awkward but like likable because she like can kind of understand pop culture references i don't know that's that's where i was like i think that was there so, like her that was their intention but it didn't come across that way for me like the scene that got me okay was um when she was out for lunch with diana like every other thing she said was something like putting herself down for the sake of getting pity from diana you know, like uh, constantly being like, oh, you look like someone who would go out. I, I, I never go out at all. You know, nobody ever wants to go out with me or, and, and stuff like that where you're like, OK, you're trying to invite people to pity you versus being, you know, just a likable, awkward kind of fun person. Um, it, it just didn't work for me, man. That, yeah, I, I can I can see that. That's something that didn't necessarily bother me I get as much. Um, trying to think of other things that I enjoyed. Well, I think we can both agree that Pedro Pascal did a great job in this film. Yeah, I love, especially when he, I don't know why, but when he goes into places and they're like, oh, I know you. And then he like does his commercial face and yeah. voice, and I'm just like, <laughs> I love that. I don't like, it just it's such a weird transition from seeing him from, you know, being Mando to doing this. And I know he's got like another movie on Netflix that I kind of want to check out that's apparently supposed to be doing really well. So he's you know killing in all streaming fronts right now, but yeah, it it was it's so cool seeing him go from this stoic, quiet, you know, you know, short spoken person to this guy who is boisterous and you know trying to you know destroy the well capture and control the world. It's it's very interesting to like the classic cliched like boisterous annoying entrepreneurial type. Like it's so <laughs> different. I kind of enjoyed it, and I also like. When his son came out, I was like, ha, he has a kid in this one, too. <laughs> I didn't think about that, but I I did think about how, you know, when his son hears him talk about how he doesn't want them there, I, like, I felt, the, like, I, I was like, oh, man, like, that would never be okay in Mandalorian. Like, Baby Yoda would totally hurt him. <laughs> oh, Baby Yoda would not take that crap. <laughs> he wouldn't dare do that to, to little Grogu. <laughs> But I, I liked him. At first, I didn't know where they were going with his character. Like, I didn't know how he'd end up being the bad guy. So it kind of, I was like, I don't know how to feel about him in the beginning. The The beginning wasn't like, uh, maybe it's just because I'm used to Marvel, which like spoon feeds like the good and the bad guys to you. It just wasn't like really well established for me on how I should feel about the enemy characters. I guess maybe that's the point because like the, I guess a good enemy is a sympathetic enemy, and there there are times where I could feel for Pedro Pascal kind of in a way, not I don't know not like relate to him, but I was like oh like yeah you've had a sad life, especially at the end when they're she's going through her truth thing, mm-hmm. and you get to see his past yeah uh but at the but at the same time, some of his motivations were very very inherently evil <laughs> yeah so uh, it, it i don't know how I, I still am trying to process it i just saw it last night i'm trying to find as much positive as i can in it but that was just initial was meh for me but okay let's dive a little bit yeah. into the go ahead dude oh, i i have to i have to be honest so i've watched it one and a half times and the way the reason I say that is because the first time I watched it, we had this like HBO Max snafu where I couldn't sign in. Like we went home, I went, was hanging out with my family for Christmas, and we were gonna watch it 
uh, at the 26th and I was getting all excited and my, 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 my dad was making ice cream. My mom was making popcorn for everyone. We're all getting together and I could not get logged in. And I, I was extremely upset. And I know because I I'm, I have on my HBO Max on my phone, on my computer, on my Xbox. So I'm like, why the hell can I not log in on my, you know, parents' TV? I'm, I was very, very So upset. you're already to pissed the point off going into the movie, basically. Yes, exactly. It, to, to the point where my dad's like, it's fine, Justice. I'll just sign up for HBO Max and we'll watch it together. And, and so I, you know, while this movie is going on, I'm on the hold with HBO Max trying to figure out why can I not get into my account so while this movie is going on i'm half like on my phone so that's why i like i had to rewatch some of the movie again today for this because i wanted to capture everything and then this is going to sound really really bad and i do have a an issue with this and that's why i again rewatched it uh there was just a part where i fell asleep (laughs) because (laughs) I, i i didn't i didn't I didn't really, uh, wasn't really captivated by it when I was watching it, and it's it's kind of the part where they get on the helicopter, and right before she descends like into that TV place is kind of where I fell asleep. So I rewatched that scene again. In in um, your defense, you did the same exact thing for what our TLJ review. You you fell asleep for most of our rewatching it. Yeah, I I, I do have an issue sometimes with that, and so. I guess you can say take everything that I say with a grain of salt, but I do go back and rewatch it. So like, it's not like I, I'm just trying to come up with his random stuff and I haven't actually seen it. I have, I have watched it. That that being said, I don't think the, that is the reason why I didn't enjoy the movie. Um, again, like I keep on saying, I tried really turning off my brain and just enjoying the movie for what it was. Uh, some of the things that didn't work for me, and I've complained about this for many, many DC movies is the length of the movie. The movie is very long. It's two and a half hours long. I thought there was a perfect point where they could have ended the movie on a cliffhanger, kind of like Empire Strikes Back, and you're like, oh my gosh, like what's going to happen with Diana? When when Pedro Pascal and Kristen Wiig take off, that could have been a... An, I, I know that would have been like, there'd been no resolution. you like, what's going to happen? But that could have been a good point to break and then you know finish it out with another movie they're, they're just like they try to pack so much into that movie and at some point you're like why this is still going on like this is still going and that's one of the things that really really got to me I, I can feel that I mean they definitely packed in a lot and they had a lot of things to establish like just character wise they had to establish two villains and then also the return of Steve Trevor and also what the dream stone was like i was realizing and we can talk more about the stone for sure that the rules of the dream stone weren't established until like well later into the movie so it didn't explain the character's actions and motivations uh, yeah the dream stone thing was weird too because i kept on questioning like what is the what's the catch what is the rules because it seemed like she would dream something and then another person would this and it didn't really all line up or add up until the you know so far into the movie uh the monkey's paw thing and another thing as much as i love the the opening sequence i think because of the length of the movie it doesn't like do a good job of that like lesson that she learns i don't think does a good job of connecting at the very end of the movie I, like I, I i had a hard hard time remembering what that lesson was and how it related to the end of the movie i don't think it connected really at all 
Um, I thought it was a great scene, but the only real kind of story or moral of the story I got from that scene was like, Diana, you're destined to do great things. Be patient and ready to do it. And that's such a general kind of concept. I don't think it really connected well with what happened the rest of the film. Well, I thought so. I thought so. It's the whole thing is the the monkey's paw, right? Where like you wish for something, but you don't know like the the price of what like you're gonna pay for that wish, yeah. right? So her, I, I, the way like I'm trying to I guess interpret it is the she wanted to finish the race, but she did it in a way where she like took she cheated steps, and that's why like she's destined for greatness, but she can't like cheat those steps to get to greatness, and I think that's the point that they were trying to make at the beginning. Maybe, but like. I, I don't see how the, like, striving for greatness would necessarily correlate with her relationship with Steve Trevor, because that relationship isn't necessarily a pursuit of greatness. It's a pursuit of normalcy, you know? So, like, I can see how you, like, you can, if you think about it, you can try to rationalize something, but it's not something that's apparently displayed well, you know? Yeah. And, and again, I don't, I'm... I'm really trying hard not to just like straight up bash it like I did with, you know, Man of Steel or Batman versus Superman because they're I did en- I did enjoy the movie. They're just things that you know I didn't necessarily enjoy to the fullest extent. If that makes sense. Uh, one of the other things, and this is this is just a me thing, and you I know you're gonna probably roll your eyes when I say this, Gary. But another thing that really is hard for me to like sequel movies and this doesn't it doesn't matter if it's a marvel movie or a superhero movie or whatever kind of movie it is but i feel like wonder woman 84 fell into the sequel trap and the sequel trap has a very formalic you know plot to it you know she kicked the the way it goes is they kick butt new new something is introduced superhero gets their butt kicked their they have an identity crisis they recognize that they're actually, you know, they've, they've regained their confidence and then they end up kicking in the, the butt of the hero. And and that's the, the normal sequence. It doesn't matter if it's Spider-Man 2. It doesn't matter if it's Iron Man 2, um, Wonder Woman 2. Like, it, it's the, it all follows this, you know, this, this sequence. And it's very hard for a sequel to not follow that. And that's why I think I like Empire Strikes Back so much or... Um, winter soldier and so that that's something that really like when i was watching i was like ah they're doing the same thing again i don't know if you felt that gary no i can see your point completely because you're right there is that common thread of heroes being awesome they have a shaky confidence off of some event they regain the confidence and then they go ahead and fight and that that is the classic superhero sequel or just main character sequel in anything not even just superhero genre but it definitely did fall under that largely. Yeah, and 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 again, that's why I think, and this is going to sound weird, like the Winter Soldier, even the Dark Knight. I mean, the Dark Knight kind of maybe falls into that, but like it, they're they really go outside of the box when it comes to that. Or and I this where like Deadpool two kind of does in a way where it focuses more on family and less on him trying to fix his cancer. The, I, I like sequel movies that are they do this weird spin on twist then you know that's not this normal thing and and i had kind of wished that they did that with wonder woman the one thing though that i um was kind of thinking about after reading and looking at other reviews like 
part of the intent for this was to play off of uh, common tropes. Like they tried to play off of the Christopher Reeve Superman and some of the shots and the action sequences. They tried to play off the idea of like the classic 80s movie, um, like girl makeover concept with Christian Wig going off of like Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, all those old 80s movies that would have like the girl suddenly glow up and have this makeover. So they were trying to do tropes to an extent, but I don't think that the sequel thing that you're talking about, that annoying kind of common ground thing is one of the tropes they're trying to play off of. You know, it's not a classic 80s trope. It's just a lazy writing for a sequel. Yeah, no, the the, the 80s trope, I didn't that didn't bother me at all. That I actually kind of like that, like the scene where Chris Pine is trying on the different clothes. I thought that was really cute, and I thought it was really funny. Or the, you know, Kristen Wiig being weird and different and, and and the 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 aesthetic of the movie I obviously like I enjoyed did you did you whole like that whole 80s thing I thought it was fine um I didn't think the Kristen Wiig um transition like it, it didn't work for me but also I didn't really like how her character was in the movie at least in the beginning um like okay for example when she's emerging as a different person literally the only difference is instead of her wearing a skirt she's wearing tight pants and that's literally the only difference and you're like okay this is again propagating the the whole like bad trope that people make fun of in 80s movies of like breakfast club where she goes from a cool looking goth chick to suddenly the primmed up like classic white girl look and everyone's like oh you're so much hotter it, it, it just it didn't work for me too well with that i did like the chris pine dressing up into a weird 80s thing scene i thought i'm like oh cute couple moment gives some like development for their um relationship a bit and so that part was good for me yeah and um one of the things that i kind of had wanted more of is more cheetah like, it was nice, and this, I think, has to do, again, with the length of the movie and the pacing of the movie. If they had worked on, on that or cut something out or, again, split it into other movies, it would have been nice to see her have a larger role where, where she transitions transitions into the cheetah. It's not just, like, the last 10 minutes of the movie, and that's something that I... Like, I, I wanted to see more of that, and maybe it's due to budget restraints because again like i've seen people criticize the cgi it didn't necessarily bother me i i just wanted to see more of her being that apex predator than them just swinging on the you know the wires and the electrical you know everything going on like i I wanted to see her in action a little bit more yeah i thought their fight scene was cool and i i I was trying to discern, okay, is this actually decent CGI or is it bad CGI? Um, because I didn't get an initial like gut reaction to it one way or the other. So as an experiment, I watched a little bit of Cats last night too, just to get a comparison. I'm like, okay, this is my baseline. This I know is bad CGI. And then I watched the, the Qu- Kristen Wiig scenes as Cheetah. And I'm like, this isn't actually that bad. I think the reason it works is one, because it's dark out. And two, because she's moving quickly. So you don't get long shots looking on her face to get you on the uncanny valley. Like it's constantly changing and has enough darkness that you can get away with it looking a little bit more digital. And we we don't really have to go much into this uh, if you don't know, Gary. But is that how did how does Cheetah become Cheetah in the comics? Do you know? 
I know it's been retconned so many times that I can't even remember all of them. <laughs> um, I forget exactly. There's there's so many retcons. I was looking it up before, and I'm like, this isn't even worth me remembering at all. Okay, yeah, and that's that's one of the things too. Like, I didn't, I don't know anything about Max Lord or anything about Cheetah. I I appreciated that they went with new super villains and new you know characters. I I just you know didn't do my own due diligence in figuring out you know how this person relates into the larger DC universe. The things from the larger DC universe that I did kind of enjoy were um one that they brought in the idea of the the gods cuz that's so inherent to Wonder Woman and I I looked into two so I I was texting Justice about this. I like the invisible jet at first. Like, I'm like, this is paying homage to old Wonder Woman. Like, this is really cool. Like, if you guys don't know, like, she had an invi- invisible jet in the comics, and I believe in the old live-action series. And the problem was, I was watching with my wife, and right after the invisible jet happened, she's like, wait, so if, she, if Diana can turn anything invisible... Why doesn't she use that in Justice League or Batman v Superman? Like, that would be an incredibly helpful power. And I'm just sitting there like, ah, damn. Something I really liked about this movie is ruined for me now. Yeah, no, I, I I didn't even think about that until you texted it to me. And what just, like, came to my head when you said that, it's, it's kind of like in Star Wars where it's like, oh, that force power would have been really nice if, you know, Luke knew how to do that back in the 70s right. and 80s. <laughs> or... It, it, it it's that same thing where you know it's a new movie we you know they hadn't thought about it it's cool that they're introducing it now and the way i'm thinking about it now is it's a sequel to wonder woman but it doesn't really feel like a prequel to the other dc movies so i guess it can still maybe work i just like the idea that she can create this force field to make things go invisible or whatever kind of like invisible woman almost in a way I, I i enjoyed that scene but again i've i'm always that person about plot holes how the hell does chris pine's character know how to fly a plane that is modern day that doesn't make any sense it's cool it's still a cool scene it's like, so I, cool, I, like I didn't absolutely it doesn't make any sense like if he doesn't know the concept I, I, of radar yet like it, it does doesn't make sense but you have to have that like willingness to admit that a movie about a woman flying around with a lasso would have little bits like that you know right okay so did you think the scenes where she's running was good or did it take you out of like the element of the movie because I have to be honest when she was running I laughed I couldn't I couldn't when take she's it seriously. running and crying after leaving uh Chris Pine no 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 n- n- I mean not that not that one but like what kind of one you were talking about like where are they are they in Egypt or Cairo yeah or yeah over when and she's just running like in the streets or something like on the that one street I like couldn't take it serious I know she's running fast but like it's slow-mo at the same time and I'm just like what are you, what what are they doing? And I, I laughed and I felt bad because I laughed out loud when we were watching it with the family and they were like, what? And I was like, nope, just keep on enjoying the movie. I don't want to ruin it for you. Uh, yeah, I can only think of one scene where it came off cheesy for me. Otherwise, I was totally fine with it. But I also watched like the CW Flash, which has that constantly and to a far more cheesy extent. So I'm a little immune to it. 
Yeah, and and I guess it happens a little bit in the X Men movies with, uh, the one guy who freezes time, but it's a little bit different. I think the, I think it's the everything's flying really fast around her, and then her going really slow is what just it just took it, me out. It of my definitely own. Again, looked not super saying... green screened when it was like close up on uh, Gal Gadot just like chugging along. Um, it, it definitely screamed green screen, but everything else wide angle was I think fine. Yeah, again, I and I, 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 I really, really want to stress that I, like, I. <laughs> You're just the trying movie. to not there be the guy who craps on it. Come on, you're allowed to not like it. I am allowed to not like it, but I also did enjoy it. Like I did and didn't. Again, it's it's. I feel like a perfect statement is I enjoyed a crappy movie, and <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. The other things, but also is there anything else that. To mention homage to comics, um, so and near the end of the movie, basically woman, one woman has the ability to fly, which is mixed into um, when in the comics that kind of occurs, because originally she didn't have the, the ability to fly, hence the invisible jet. Then later on, she was given the ability to fly, I believe, from Hermes. So it's kind of like, it, it's another an homage to the comics and not the superpower of Wonder Woman that was cool to add. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to bring up? Well, I think we got to bring up the ending. So, and the ending overall, I, I like the fight with Cheetah. Um, the Wonder Woman suit, bringing that in, wasn't super, like, badass or, like, crazy cool to me. Like, it was fine. Um... But I'm also not a huge Wonder Woman fan of like of her comic line specifically. I like her in a lot of other stuff, like when she's with Justice League and whatnot in the comics. But I'm not familiar enough with her comic line to really have that, oh my gosh, this is dope kind of moment with it. And I think the ending with Pedro Pascal, it got a little cheeseball there for me, dude. When she's having like a whole soliloquy about truth and whatever and it's i'm like i know you're doing this in front of the camera to inspire everyone and this better not be their whole impetus for them suddenly renouncing their wishes and literally it changes the hearts of everyone including like a terrorist in the middle east and you're like okay this is this is way too cheeseball it just reminded me of cw and that's all dc is is cw moments and and it didn't it didn't Bro. okay this is also this is one of the points where I was semi out of it when I first watched it too. Like I was half coming in and half coming out. So when I watched it today, I don't know. I kind of got inspired by it. It you know, it's it's a little kind of cheesy, but I still think the message still trans stands true. And um, that is one of the things that I think is a high point in this movie is that there is a really good underlying message going through the whole thing, and is something that um, you know, truth always wins out. And uh, I I. Again, yes, I I do get where you're coming from. It it is kind of corny, but I do still think that the message um, was good. So, like, some level of corniness I think is expected in a superhero movie. It just crossed that threshold for me, and it seems like it didn't cross that threshold for you. It was in like the acceptable level of corniness for me. It went past the threshold. Yeah, when I was watching it today, I was able to like get. And like enamored into her speech, and I was like, yeah, like yeah, like yeah, like you're speaking to me, like I get that, like yeah, you know all that stuff. But there are certain scenes where, so, so like you were talking about the 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 terrorists in the Middle East. The reason that didn't you know 
that didn't affect me is because I thought that was one of the guys that made one of the wishes. So like he's just re. It re- is. It is a. Okay, yeah. it, it was definitely. It was most likely quite offensive. It was definitely a Middle Eastern terrorist wishing for more nukes, and then he heard Wonder Woman's speech and is like. I'm going to renounce my wish for nukes. And I'm like, come on, come on. Like, one, this is a terrible stereotype. And two, this is way too cheesy. Like, yeah. like no way. Osama Bin Laden hearing Wonder Woman's speech would have been like, you know what? I'm going to change my ways. Like, no, that's not the way this is going to happen. Yeah, I, I, I'm, let me just say this. I'm sorry that took you out of your element. I was still, uh, I, I just was listening to Gal's voice and was like, hell yeah. Yeah. You, you, you encourage me and you keep on talking uh, all this good stuff so that I can get hyped. Well, honestly, she's so great as an actress and as Wonder Woman that I think like she overrides a lot of the flaws in the movie. Like there's flaws going around all over the place. And you're like, whatever. She's awesome. Like, who cares? Right, and that's what I keep on. That's why I keep on. Hopefully, I'm I'm communicating to everyone like there's, there's good and there's bad, and if you just turn your brain off, like you're gonna enjoy the movie, and I do think it would be a fun. It would be a fun conversation if we jumped into, you know, kind of talking about that posting credit, and then yeah. also what what would uh, w- since they announced that there is gonna be a Wonder Woman three with Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot, like what is the, um, you know what are we looking forward to in the, the the this the third movie i wanted to say the sequel but never mind the, the third movie so first before we dive into the new movie i have to say the cameo at the end there is um another amazonian woman who diana tells stories about who did this huge heroic feat in which she sacrificed herself for the sake of the mascara and at the end you see this woman and that the person who is playing that is the same actress Linda Carter who played Wonder Woman back in the day, and so I just thought that was so cool that they brought her on from like the original old Wonder Woman TV show. It was just a fun little thing for fans at the end. Oh yeah, it's a it's a total fan service, and it's really nice that she was able to do it. And so I'm happy for all those people. I remember we were we were you know when when we were watching it, um, my mom and dad and the people that are there with us were like, oh my gosh, like she was in the old movie or the old TV show. And I'm just like, this is, I never watched this. I'm too young for this. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm like, I, I was definitely also, I never saw the TV show, but I'm like, I swear I recognize their face, looked it up and I'm like, okay, that's cool. Like, you know, that was just fun that they brought her on. All right. Before we get into the, the, our predictions of the next movie, I do want to ask you one thing. Do you feel like it was weird that she only used the lasso for everything when she became, you know, Spider-Man or, you know, when she was fighting instead of using her sword and shield? Do you, did you like that? Do you not like that? Do you wish that there was a little more action or more her throwing punches or more lasso or what? Well, see, I'm wondering if there is a unexplained reason why she doesn't have her sword and shield because I know, like... The armor she has and uses in the comics kind of depends on her relationship with the mascara. Um, again, guys, I'm not a Wonder Woman expert at all by any means. But I, I would have dug a lot more sword and shield, but those are also super OP weapons. Like, for example, the sword can actually kill Superman. 
Like, she could stab straight through Superman and kill him. So, like, if she had the sword and shield, it would be too OP for a fight against Cheetah. Uh, at least from my understanding of her in the comics, seeing her mostly from the, like, ancillary character role in Superman, Batman, and Justice League comics. That it's used for those high-level fights that work for Doomsday, but wouldn't necessarily for a lower-level villain. Uh, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I just wanted to know what your opinion was. I, as much as there is a lot of lasso, I give and take. It's, it doesn't it bother me. Um, I think it would have been really cool if there maybe have been more fisticuffs between her and Cheetah. I know there is some like in the when they're doing the in the White House and that that's really cool. Like I love when she clinks her wrists together and Cheetah is able oh, to spin yeah. through it. So dope. That scene's really cool. And and that, that whole scene's really awesome and the end scene when they're fighting at the T V tower is really good and um and maybe just because I like action I, I want more of that. But yeah, I I could give or take on more more lasso. <laughs> yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Like, she was just so dope in Batman versus Superman that you're like, okay, I'd, I'd love to see more of that. Like, that was a part of the movie. Even you, Justice, in your cold, dead heart has to admit, like, Wonder Woman in Batman versus Superman was so dope. Like, everyone wants to see more of that. Yeah, I don't really remember her in, in that. You, so you, you, can, you can go and, like, shut the hell up then. Yeah. I, I do know that she... Wait, wait, was she in it? I hate you so much. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think I stopped watching it after the Martha moment in the theaters. So uh, I just kind of put my headphones in. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Anyways, I'm, I'm regaining uh, my composure now to talk about a Wonder Woman three. So, dude. Yeah. Um, initial thing as a DC fan, Wonder Woman is at her best as a character for me when you add in the Greek gods. Like, you can get into some spicy stuff of her, the Amazons, versus, like, a great cataclysmic Greek god kind of deal. That would be awesome. Like, the old Justice League cartoons had some, like, crazy crap go down with her and Hades, and they were some of the best arcs. Like, that's what I'd love to see out of another Wonder Woman. That's, yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. I thought you were going to say Wonder Woman's best when she's got Superman and Batman in front of her. And I was like, wow, okay, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you'd be like, wow, sexist much. <laughs> yeah, and then you said that. And I was like, oh, I could totally get behind that because anytime there's Greek or Greek mythology, Roman mythology, whatever it is, I, I'm all about that. So, yeah, I, I'm, I hope that... I don't think they'll bring back Kiss Chris Pine, but if there is another way that they can come up with a way, that'd be kind of cool. Or, you know, um, again, I don't really know a whole lot of, you know, Wonder Woman comics and DC stuff, so I don't have a ton of predictions. I just hope that maybe they bring back Cheetah. I would like to see her character more. It would be pretty cool if they introduced other villains, but you are right. The When there's more, maybe, like, I wouldn't mind also more of her backstory and like the when you know i can't say her what's her like the place that she's from the amazonian place what's the mascara the mascara i want more of like that that'd be kind of cool if there was a like a super prequel you know time where she's spending a lot of time there like before that we got in the first wonder woman movie 
I, I could see more of that being dope. I, I'd love, I love when Wonder Woman is with the other Amazons fighting against Greek god level threats. Like, that stuff's dope. We both love the idea of, like, the Greek god type stories. I know you mentioned in another podcast about, like, the Percy Jackson books and everything. So that's what I'm hoping, is that we take they take Wonder Woman to that crazy high level that she's made for, and that they're not afraid to get a little bit, like, crazy and weird with it. Like... In the, in the cartoon, I was just looking up here to fact check myself. They did have Hades as a possible father of Wonder Woman in that series, but I believe in the it was the 2011 relaunch of DC Comics in the New Fifty Two. Zeus was, I believe, yes, Zeus was the biological father in that one. So they can choose whatever Greek god they want as her father figure, and that could just dive into a crazy dope storyline. Oh yeah. I know they already brought Hades in the first one, uh, but they can they could do so much, so so much more, and I think it would also be kind of interesting too if they somehow maybe brought in another, you know, couple DC heroes that she interacts with a lot in, you know, the the so, greater wait, DC so universe. Justice, that, are you saying that they need to bring in male heroes to make her no, movie appealing I was gonna to say, you? <laughs> no, I was gonna say something like, like if they did, it would be cool if we got to see. Birds of Prey do something with Wonder Woman or, uh, you know, Marco Robbie and Gal Gadot on the same same screen. I think that'd be kind of cool. Uh, but I, I don't really know how that all would connect. I'm again, I'm not a huge DC person. I don't even know if their whole, I don't know if their whole universe has even you know come together. But having them having those two on the same screen, I would really really enjoy. I think that'd be a really fun story because I think they. They're such polar opposite kind of characters that they could play off and have a lot of fun together. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I just don't envisioning that working well. I'm trying to think of the characters, and some. I'm also not a huge fan of Harley Quinn. I get now, so now everyone's gonna hate both of us because you don't like DC and I don't like Harley Quinn. So I guess we're just screwed now, dude. It's okay. I don't. I don't want to. I don't have anything to do with fans online. <laughs> we love you guys. <laughs> So while we're digging ourselves in a deeper hole, we're just going to say, like, you know, Ray and Kylo Ren are the worst. They're a terrible couple. And that, you know, we disown all Raylos. Well, we're, we're, we're saving that podcast for when we do the odd uh, couple last, uh, thing on them. Yes, that's going to be saved for yes. them. Granted, I do. With, with CBCC. I, I do. I can't be ashamed to admit I'm a little bit of a Raylo. Like, I'm totally down for that. It's great. I love them so much. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't dislike them being together. And if, you know, if Ray wants to go with Kylo or Finn, I don't care. She can do what she wants. It doesn't matter. <laughs> that they sounds like oh. that sounds like the like speech a buddy of yours gets it gives you after like a girl chooses to go out with someone else instead of him. Like, yeah, like I'm happy for her. She could choose whoever she wants. She can go with him. Whatever, it's fine. <laughs> if, they, if she wants to be polyamorous, that's totally cool. I don't, I don't, I don't care. You know three-way that's whatever I don't, they they can do what they want okay that's what it, that's all it's about fanfic you can do what you want it's it's your head canon so read it anyways i think <laughs> <laughs> anyways i think we're i'm sure parker to, would love to read that yeah right <laughs> i i think it's time it's it time for one of the greatest segments ever made a segment that gal gadot has once said has inspired her to create that truth speech in Wonder Woman. 
It's inspired many. It's inspired multiple terrorists to give up their evil ways. Our favorite segment, your favorite segment, Comic of the Week. Comic of the Week. Not a fan of that intro there, Gary, because... A good thing that we are very small because she is never going to hear that, <laughs> hear you say that. So I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's a longtime listener. Shout out to Gal. We know you're listening. Big fan of ours. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to do a, a small, quick recap for those. If you guys haven't, if you guys like the whole comic stuff and just skip the whole DC thing, totally understandable. Uh, but. <laughs> We're going to be breaking down Venom 31 and King in Black 2. If you haven't heard King in Black 1, go back and listen to our Dis- Disney Investor Day one. And we had a, we spent a lot of time recapping the basically the whole Venom run and then really talking and diving deep into King in Black number one. But if you listen to that or if you don't really care, I'm just going to say what happened. Null invaded Earth. Null symbiotes are covering all of the Earth and the heroes are losing. They have one final hope, which is Sentry, which is basically the Superman of Marvel, and Noel rips him in half. Eddie and Venom confront Noel, and Noel rips Venom off of Eddie and then drops him from the Empire State Building, which leaves us with Venom 1. And I like talking comics with a lot of people, and I know Gary and Evan sometimes don't always read comics as fast as I do. And so I talk to, and there's nothing against that. Just like I, I, I get just finished weekly. King in Black two today, so I haven't even read Venom thirty one yet. So I'm actually excited to hear the recap. Right, and, and so uh, I talked with Brad from CBCC about you know Venom, and one of the things that he always talks about, or he not always when he talked with me was that it seems when Donny Cates is writing these massive flagship events is that the flagship event name comic is actually driving the story and then the solo title that he's normally writing is kind of ancillary stuff and I guess I would kind of agree to an extent I love Donnie Cates like you guys know how much I love him I'm not I don't want to talk ill of him but a lot of times you know like with absolute carnage venom was kind of the same way where absolute carnage was really driving the story and then venom was just kind of like filling in some details and i kind of feel like king and black and venom are the same way where king and black a lot of things are happening and venom is very well at least in in this one maybe not so much but i think venom 32 it's gonna get like that but uh, in venom 31 you kind of you, you you see what's going around this broken Eddie kind of it's if that makes sense. So let me give you a, a recap. I'm just going to f- kind of go on to that because I really want to talk about King and black too. It starts off with uh, Rex and Rex Strickland. And he is one of the characters that's introduced into the first Venom arc. He knows a lot of the history of the symbiotes and you know, who wore his symbiote before Venom or Eddie did. And he's kind of, you know, telling a little bit of the story of how he recruited Eddie. And then you got this really cool splash page of Noel again dropping, you know, Eddie from the Empire State Building. And you have the Venom symbiote kind of, you know, fighting Noel, not wanting to join the Hive again, wanting to be back with Eddie. And something that's always really interesting to me is 
you know, when Donnie Cates talks about religion because he's not a religious person, but a lot of his characters, you know, either happen to pray to God when bad things are happening or, you know, they will quote Bible verses or whatnot. And so while Eddie is falling from the sky, he starts praying to God that he will save his son so that his son doesn't have to go through this mess that he's created. And I was just thinking, like, as I was reading this, what would I be doing if I'm just free falling with no parachute from the empire state building <laughs> like that's a scary thought yeah and it and so i mean yeah that that's i guess that's the only thing you really can do is you know just you know pray for safety over your you know your loved ones and during this time you get you could just see more hopelessness happen there's a lot of panels of heroes getting engulfed by the goo of the symbiotes and you know spider-man and captain america are trying to fight you see police officers trying to fight him uh, them trying to save you know normal civilians and eddie is just like oh my gosh like there's nothing left to do it's a very very bleak comic and there's this really cool splash page where you get to see another like the street of new york and there's like a dragon on top of a couple of the skyscrapers and civilians are running and there's just like black goo everywhere. Uh, so during this time, like I said, in King and Black 1, Dylan is in that bunker and he calls Iron Man. And he's like, yo, what's going on? And Iron Man's kind of like, how the hell did you get this number? I'm going to freaking kill Spider-Man. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he's like, we got it under control, hangs up on him. And Dylan's like, that doesn't sound okay. So he tries connecting with all the symbiotes and the Venom symbiote somehow recognizes it and cuts off the connection so he doesn't get connected with Null. Mm. And and Dylan's like, what the heck? Like, why can I not figure out what's going on? So then he turns on the TV and what does he see? He sees his dad falling from the Empire State Building because there's, there's a helicopter that is literally like showcasing everything to everyone watching the news. And Null just like, ripping the symbiote off again and like then you see him just like falling and dylan's like oh like dad's gonna die <laughs> oh my god and and one of the things that i think is an interesting part is as he's falling that helicopter that's taking this you know this shot is getting too close and there's a dragon that's about to get that's about to attack it and so eddie tries pushing using his force next to the Empire State Building to, like, fly over to the helicopter, but the dragon gets to it, and it explodes, and that explosion sends him faster into the Earth, and then he just, like, there's, like, this panel of him, you know, in those movies where when heroes fall and they hit, like, all the different sides of the, like, there's an alley when they hit both sides of the buildings and the railings and all that stuff? So it cushions, quote-unquote, the fall? It, oh no, it doesn't cushion. It's crack. There's like five different cracks and thacks and twacks and whatever, and then, <laughs> and then he like lands on a car, and that's the end of the comic. Mm. Which, in comic logic, leads into what we have in the beginning of King and Black Two. So Gary's read King and Black Two. Um, I'm gonna go through it. I love King and Black Two. It's really funny because I talked about how Venom Thirty One is very bleak. Venom 32 is even, or sorry, King and Black 2 is even bleaker. And it literally starts off with Eddie hitting the car, and it's got this huge smash, and 
he he dents the crap out of the car. Like that car is not going to be drivable after this. <laughs> and and during that time, Spider Man saw him falling and he tried to get to him, but he wasn't fast enough. And so he he has this moment where he's trying to wake up Eddie and get him going. And Eddie's obviously in pain and he's screaming for help. And and Noel's there on you know still there. He's like, "What does it take to kill this dude? Like, come on!" And so. Spider-Man's trying to get Eddie to safety and all these nullified, you know, infected heroes come and Spider-Man's like, I can't grab this broken Eddie, fight all these heroes and swing away because we know that if in the end of the day to win, we need Eddie. And so what happens is Human Torch comes to save them and he ends up sacrificing himself and he goes supernova because the high heat is something that is a uh it's something that affects the symbiotes like it, it's their one of their weaknesses but so like even Nova, so that... spider-man tells him like hey that won't be enough with them right now like it'll just slow them right. down and you're guaranteed to become another one of the symbiotes afterwards because they're going to take you over and he's just like tell him i did something dope though right yes and and johnny storm fashion just being like, yeah, like I'm sacrificing myself, but I'm gonna do it. Out. I'm going out with style, and so Spider-Man's able to get away with Eddie, and they bring him to a base that has a bunch of doctors like Reed Richards, Valkyrie, and in the comics, Jane Foster. Okay, so little little explanation: Jane Foster is no longer Thor; she's now a, a Valkyrie, and even in the comics, um. She was a doctor before she became Thor. So she has like all this doctor knowledge while she's Valkyrie. So that's why she's there. And Reed Richards is there. Stu Storm is there. Black Panther. And they're in communication with uh, Magneto. And Blade is there as well. And Professor X. And so they're all kind of just arguing. And the whole time, you have these really quiet moments with Spider-Man and Dylan. And Spider-Man's like... I'm sorry, man. And Dylan's just like, is he going to be okay? It's Donnie really knows how to like push that emotional envelope when it comes to father, son stuff, or just family stuff in general. And you really see that with the emotion with Dylan and Spider-Man while everything around them, you have all these, you know, really famous and big heroes arguing what they should do in this face of, you know, hopelessness and, loss and because they know that they're being defeated right now because Noel is you know basically reigning supreme at the moment so Namor comes in and I have to say I'm not a big fan of Namor but he comes in and he's like we've been fighting the darkness and the abyss and the ocean for eons you should listen to what I have to say and they kind of like eh, whatever and Iron Man's like no you're right I got a plan and one of the things I think I talked about in the first you know when we we're talking about King and Black number one is What's Donnie gonna go next? Where where is he gonna come up with these things that they can they can beat? No, they already lost Sentry. They, yeah, they have what Captain Marvel, and what else do they have? Like that, like their their missiles didn't work. So, Iron Man goes through this like phase of or the steps of what he's gonna do. He is personally gonna get a symbiote and and capture one from a dragon so they give it to Eddie to hopefully heal him. He's going to send Namor to the Abyss to recruit. It's called the Black Tide, which seems to be like these evil monsters deep in our ocean. 
He's going to have Blade recruit vampires from Dracula. And then he's going to have a couple heroes go to Kingpin to recruit uh, his cronies to help fight this fight, which is like a low blow because like that'd be like going to like Dr. Doom or, you know, Green Goblin being like, hey, I, I need you and your, your baddies to come fight our, our fight because we're not strong enough. Like that's a low blow. Which also it's an extra low blow because isn't that exactly what Iron Man did in Civil War? He recruited the villains to help capture the heroes and that ended up working so poorly for him. So it's like, Tony, you're doing the same crap all over again. Right. And and so and, and the, another thing that's like a really low blow is that in the span of what's going on in comics, somehow the Kingpin became the mayor of New York. And so, you know, he's corrupted. So, you know, there's just a lot of bad stuff going on. And he's yet he's still the mayor. Uh, and that that happened a couple other that's in a different issues anyway. So the way that Iron Man is going to get this symbiote is that he's got this thing in his suit. It's kind of like a shot. It's called Extremis. And the shot allows Iron Man to re- rewrite the DNA of a symbiote that he can now can control so that he can rewrite it, connect or disconnect it from the hive, and give it to Eddie. So that ends up what what's happening. He gives the he comes back with this the symbiote. Doesn't know how long he can control it. Gives it to Eddie, and they're all arguing. And Dylan knows that there's something wrong. Like he knows this is not okay. He knows that like this this, this is not the right symbiote to give to him. And Eddie starts like his his vitals start going crazy and. The, the everything's going wrong and people are arguing and Dylan's no one's listening to Dylan so he uses his powers and he kills the symbiote and everything's a huge explosion because that's Dylan's powers and you hear like the E from the flat line of Eddie's you know uh, e- medical equipment but the only thing that people can think about especially Reed Richards because he's a douchebag is that Dylan has superpowers and he's the key to our victory and, and Spider-Man and Dylan are like, what, what's that noise? Like what's going on? And you find out that Eddie died during that process. Iron Man killed him. And, and Dylan's like, there's a panel of Dylan's just crying and he's like, dad. And then it says to be continued. And, and it's just, it's just so sad, man. Like I, I, when, when I picked up the issue, this is the one that the Wednesday before Christmas, Donnie tweeted out, he's like, yeah, like, it's it's a really sad issue, so uh, Merry Christmas. <laughs> and and it was, and I, I, I'm so invested to this story that I legit cried when I read this because I, I, like, I know he's coming back. I know he is, but I'm like, why would you, why would you kill him? How dare you? I honestly, it hit me hard, too, and, like, I'm not nearly as invested, but as somebody who's read through all of Donnie Cates' run, basically, like... I love Eddie Brock as a character. He's a super likable character, and to have that guy die, you're like, okay, he's got to come back, but how? And this is just tragic, and you feel for his son and for Spider-Man, and you're like, screw you, all the other heroes, because you're just only caring about the fact that that Eddie Brock's son has powers and might save you. Like, you all suck. It, it's you, you leave the comic pissed off and heartbroken, and it's it's definitely a downer. It is, but I'm going to tell, I know this is a, a longer, we, we've had two really long comics of the weeks, but I have to end this on a, a happier note, 
And so I'm going to talk about one of the tie-ins because it's funny. So Iron Man, the Iron Man Doctor Doom one is really good. And, and I'm just going to kind of like talk about it really quickly, not go through it panel by panel like we have been. But basically, Iron Man's moping around that he killed Eddie Brock and trying to figure out a way of like how to bring him back. And Doctor Doom's like, would you mope for me if I died? And Iron Man's like, did I kill you? And he's like, well, you know, Venom's a villain. So like, why would, why are, why are we moping for him? And, and, you know, Dr. Doom's like, what the hell, man? But during this process of them talking, Doom realizes the power that Eddie's suit had, or uh, sorry, Ven- uh, Iron Man's suit has. And there, there's a battle that I'm going to explain in a second, but basically his suit has the ability to kind of what Dylan's powers are. It's like I don't even know. Did we explain that Iron Man freaking got a symbiote? Basically, like when he was trying to get. Yeah, I talked. Uh, to, I, um, I I talked about how he he got the dragon and okay, and how yeah. he used his extremists, and and that's how he like rewrote the DNA for the dragon, um, and he got the symbiote. But but uh, so there's a part where since Null is are on the Earth and he he surrounded everything with, you know his nasty goo symbiotes there's a it's a, a and all these issues are basically christmas issues so there's a null santa claus flying through the sky <laughs> with his null reindeer and dr doom and iron man are looking at each other and like is that is that like is that santa claus like what is that santa claus and and dr doom's like no he doesn't exist and the whole issue is all about how Iron Man needs to learn to not forget the magic because if there's no magic, then life is bleak and gray and and bad. And so the whole issue is them fighting this Santa Claus, purifying him of his his null self, and and you know that's like how they find out his suit can do that stuff. And well, Doctor Santa is to... a part of the MCU. He's in other comics, right? Right, and 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 so. The whole time, you know, they Doom wants to steal the suit so to amplify it, and Iron Man's like, "No, like we can use it for a better use now that we know what happens." But at the end of the the comic, which is really funny, the Santa Claus is like, "Good job, Tony and Doctor Von Doom." Like he goes like to Tony's like, "You always been on the the good list," and Doctor Von Doom, you know, always been on the naughty list, and walks like walks away, and Doom is like. How did he know her names? It's not like, what? And Iron Man's like, it's like, no, it's not secret that we, you know, everyone knows our identities, dude. He's like, yeah, but like, then he made rational generalizations of like who's good and who's evil. And Iron Man's like, yeah, that's also not hard either. (laughs) And then Iron Man looks at him and he goes, if you want to believe that it's, you know, Santa Claus and by all means do it. But, you know, I'm just going to remember to keep on believing in the magic. And then just like, that was like the end of the issue. And it was like, it would be a Noel Santa Claus, and that's like brightened my day after reading this dark, bleak King and Black issue. I I do enjoy the cheesy comic book ones like that. Like that's great of a nullified Santa, and maybe Santa's gonna join the fight. Like who knows? I I'm though. You got to talk about that teaser picture I sent you at the end of the comic. Cause holy balls! Yes. Yeah, so everyone keeps on wondering. Where's Thor? Where is he? And if you're reading the Thor comic, he got his ass beat by Donald Blake, which is a whole nother thing. And if you guys want me to talk about it, I'm more than willing to. But 
King in Black 3 on the front cover is Thor holding Mjolnir and Null grabbing it and there's lightning all around and they're like about to like punch each other and it looks awesome. It looks Ryan so Stegman. Oh, I can't I can't express enough how much Ryan Stegman knows how to draw action, knows how to draw, you know, great characters. Yeah, I'm excited for the next one, dude. Like I swear for anybody who wants to go into co- like start reading Marvel comics, I'd say start with the Donny Cates Venom run. Like that's been really good. I've been reading two. Uh, I've been going through all of Immortal Hulk, and I've been really enjoying it so far. I'm up to like almost a point oh, yeah, of absolute the- carnage. Like Immortal Hulk is so good too. Yeah, Immortal Hulk by Al Ewing, phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal book. I I'm I'm really disappointed. Back in the day when those two they both came out started at the same time in 2018, and the way that we were financially i only was able to pick one series so i went with venom and i wish i had the money to go with both of them but it's still like you i can easily read them and i have been but yeah those that run is very very good as well it's so so good yeah so if you're you know gary always talks about you know what's easy for you if you're a new reader where to go look um you can always get the marvel unlimited app or you know go to your local library I say Venom is really fun to jump into Iron Man or sorry, uh, um, uh, Immortal Hulk. If you're looking for a image comic, I would say read Undiscovered Country or Something is Killing the Children. Once in Future is really good. Those are all really good stories. And then if you're also into conspiracies, and this is one I want to suggest to you, Gary, read Department of Truth. Hmm. That There's only four issues out. So it's not like it's going to be a challenge. To, it might be a challenge getting number one because that it's the hottest comic of 2020. Department of Truth. It's about conspiracies. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. And let's just say this. Let's just say this. When I read the the first time, I was so freaked out that I couldn't finish it. And then I had to read it later. Like I was reading it at night, got freaked out, closed it picked it up in the morning and finished it that's how good and scary it was oh my gosh i i i'm definitely gonna check that out because the last one you suggested to me was ice cream man also great one for a freaky comic and that one like freaked the hell out of me and like it it ruined my night and how freaky it was yeah oh yeah ice cream man's another really good one too if you're looking and that one's easy to read because it's an anthology there is a there might be an underlying story going through not really sure but if you picked up like a random one it doesn't matter which one it is. It's just a self-contained anthology. So by all means, read that one if you're into horror. But we're going to definitely give more King in Black as we follow along with the series. More comics in general. We're going to we're talking too about some series on comics and like introducing how to get into comics with this character or that character. So it's something we'd like to explore more in future episodes. But like usual, guys, you can get in touch with us at Podwars Podcast on Twitter or askpodwarspodcast at gmail.com. And have a great week. 